Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Future Food Weekly. The last week in November, the year just flew by. I'm Sonali Figueres from Green Queen and joining me is Steve Molino from Clear Current Capital. Hey, Steve. Hey, Sonali, how's it going? It's going well. Um, I am getting ready for um, it's for for cop which is happening next was starting tomorrow officially i'm going to be there from next week um it's it's really exciting because well one i'm getting to go which which obviously as a reporter in food and climate i'm very excited about it's a momentous cop for food and climate because it's the first time that um the official organizers have designated an official day for food and ag um, that's never happened in the history of COP. And last year was only the first COP where there was even food specific or food system specific programming. So this is a huge, which, which is a little, that's a, that's a little mind blowing, right? Oh, it's very <laughs> mind blowing. Like, how did that even happen? Um, I, well, we, we did not prioritize food. And I mean, that's what I've de definitely, I spend my career and days doing is trying to get food to the top of the climate agenda. And this feels like a bit of a win, although obviously, you know, I'm not expecting the world to completely change overnight, but it's certainly going to be interesting to be there um, right in the action and watch. There's so much food programming that I'm looking at. Um, one thing about COP that's interesting is that there isn't a centralized resource where you can see everything happening. Um, and basically um, you have to figure it out yourself. So um, it's been really great to be able to rely on a lot of the groups I'm in and different WhatsApp groups and things like that and different communities um, who, who all have like offshoots um, for COP. And that's how, you know, we're, I'm crowdsourcing information. But I mean, I'm I'm getting messages from, you know, people going that are like, what, where should I, what should, where should I go? What events should I go to? And, and then there's like the official events and the non-official events and the blue badge events where you need the special blue badge and then the green, the, the blue zone events where you need the badge and then the green zone, which is the, is still in the official event, but, but not the very, very uh, restricted area. And then there's just events happening on the side. It's a little bit like climate week. Like it, you know, there's a lot of kind of just people in Dubai having climate events. Um, and there's just so much to do. And most people do not go for the whole two weeks. So it's just been really interesting learning about just the attendance. There's apparently over 70,000 people planned in that are, that, that are meant to attend, which is insane. Um, it's yeah, that's pretty crazy. Are are there any are there any events that you're like definitely planning to be at or are you doing any speaking speaking gigs there anything like that I am um I'm I'm very excited I'm going to be interviewing Timo Recker the executive chairman and co-founder of Tyndall Foods the plant-based uh, company that has kind of in 3 years conquered Asia, Europe and the US and um I will be doing that as part of a day of programming um, that was co-organized by uh, Irina Gary uh, and her team at Change Foods. 
So it's been, it's really exciting. Um, I'm really excited to do this fireside chat and be on stage. Um, but there's also fantastic programming from ProVeg at the Foods for Climate Pavilion. There's fantastic programming um, by my friend Robert Jones, who is the VP of Public Affairs at Mosameet, but also the president at Cellular Agriculture uh, Europe, so the Alliance for Cell Ag in Europe. So they're doing a whole day of programming. There's just, there's a lot going on. I mean, there's no way that you can attend everything. So my job is going to be picking and choosing. Um, and then I just have no idea how big it is and how, you know, how long it takes to walk between different stages and pavilions. And, and the, the zone where I'm going to be in is where all the country pavilions are as well. And then every country has programming and then all kinds of like foundations and alliances and, and ecosystem uh, organizations have, have, uh, have programming. So it's quite overwhelming. I've definitely, I've got like three different mega spreadsheets that people have put together, people far more organized and helpful than myself that I am using as bases, as a base. Um, but uh, definitely we're going to need AI to help uh, figure out a better kind of centralized resource for COP because it's just, there's so much going on. Um, and this is just- There's going to be a startup that, that just only focuses on, on COP scheduling well i mean this is just for food and food <laughs> not even like the majority of the programming of the event so i can't even imagine if you were like if you were covering energy or, or trying to do that yeah well i mean it sounds awesome it sounds awesome i'm, I'm excited to hear how it goes that, that that interview that you're doing and then everything else all the other programming so uh quite jealous but it, it sounds like it'll be great yeah, I will report. Well, I'll 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 be back with you next week, and then I'll report back uh, the week after and let you know. Um, it's it's a tall order um, in terms of like what we can expect, and you know, from from certain people's point of view, what we really need is the world to agree on major meat reduction and and meat reduction consumption and meat redu reduction meat production reduction. So. Let's see, but we'll we'll talk about that more in 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 our chat today. But it's gonna be hard for you know our dreams to come true. Um, because you know, you know, on, on one hand, like the cynical part of me is like, oh my God, you know, is it just gonna be a lot of greenwashing and is it just gonna be everyone just there to be seen, you know, and just be part of it, but there's no real action. But there's another part of me that kind of is in awe that, you know, I don't know, 190 nations are meeting to discuss things in a world that, that feels very fragmented and, and, and not at peace these days and, and very like kind of separate. And so for all these countries to be getting together in this one place and, and just like really kind of trying to figure this out is, um, yeah, is, is, is kind of, I don't know, inspiring on like a human level. It is definitely inspiring. And, and I think that it's, the, it's a, the type of thing that we definitely need to keep seeing. I, my, my hope and my, what, what I would love to see afterwards is, is more tangible action being taken that's coming from these types of events. Um, there's a lot of like good headlines that always come up and always amazing discussions that, that come out of it. And, um, 
And I think I'm hoping that the urgency is stressed a little bit more. Um, and this is not just on the food side. I like really just thinking from like a global sustainability standpoint, like we, like action should be taken like pretty swiftly now. Um, but either way to your, to your idea of like this being like a beautiful thing of nations coming together, it is um, because no action is going to be taken if we don't have these types of events. That's that's for, for sure. So. Um, it's, it's, it's great that these are, these are happening. Well, well, exactly. And so like, there's always two, exactly. There's always two ways to look at this and like, believe me, deep down, I am, I'm such a cynic, but there's just like this small part of me that's like, you know, there could be nothing. Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, so... like it, like, it's so easy to get cynical on anything sustainability related. Cause like the individual action that a person can take, like it, it you need so many individuals to take those actions for it to be impactful, right? So you're you're hoping for the big governments to come together and 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 politicians and all of that, and and when it doesn't happen, you get you're like, well, what what's this all for, right? But the reality is that these types of events of events are happening, and that that does create an opportunity for large scale change to to occur. So um, yeah, and it's an, it's an opportunity. You got to be optimistic. Well, it's an opportunity for a benchmark as well. Like let's. Let's say something. I mean, this this comes up comes back to the conversation we had last week about cultivated meat and you know, kind of putting a moonshot out there and, and saying, I kind of want to try and work towards that. And you know, there are always gonna be people that are like, Well, that's not good enough moonshot. And we, you know, I want a better goal. But the point is there is a goal. And there's some will and consensus to get there. Definitely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more on that. Anyway, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about, I mean, already just as a, as a reporter, as an editor, I'm looking at all the reports and all the news and I'm just overwhelmed by I, there's no way that our small team can report on everything that we need to report on. So I've made the executive decision today that we're going to create a daily cop uh, digest of all the news you need to know around food and climate. Um, it's because there's that doesn't that does not mean there's going to be a daily podcast. <laughs> no, sadly, sadly, I wish I wish that. I could do that. Steve but you get bored of me um but no I know but I think there's so much news and I mean we haven't the 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 conference hasn't even started officially it starts tomorrow and yet it's just not stopped my inbox is just report after report after press release after announcement my goodness so yeah I love it but Let's dive into to this week's news, which is mostly not cop related. No, yeah, I kept this one pretty uncop related so that we could talk about other things. Um, yeah, our our big story this week is is a is you know I guess a little bit of an of an unusual one, but I thought that it reunited some key trends that are happening in the future food space. So it's a story about better nature a UK Indonesian startup that makes tempeh based products um, as, as, you know, as kind of plant-based protein. And most of their products are, you know, traditional tempeh formats. 
and they have just come out with, if, if you're reading the DM, you can see the photo. It's pretty impressive. What looks like a chicken breast made from um, tempeh mycelium um, that we can discuss what exactly what that is and what that means. Um, and it's, yeah, so it's basically whole cut plant-based chicken made from a mycelium that is not necessarily from a mushroom root, um, but from instead uh, the, the, bac the, the bacteria that is used to make tempeh, which is a, a, a fermented whole soybean cake from Indonesia that is a very traditional food. And, um, you know, I think Steve, you asked me earlier in our pre-chat why I chose this story. And, and I think that's a good question other than the fact that the photo is very impressive. Um, and these folks have been working on this for a year and a half. So for me, there are really three reasons I chose it. Um, one, the team is using a lot of upcycled ingredients. Um, so tapping in into a key trend right now for future of food, which is side waste valorization, side stream waste valorization, sorry. So basically like using kind of waste byproducts and turning them something new. In this case, the mycelium um, that is produced around the tempeh that they are making for their other products. And then okara, which is the, the pulp waste that you get when you're when you're making tofu. Um, and then I think it taps into the idea that consumers are asking for meat alternatives that are a little bit, you know, shorter ingredient labels, cleaner, if you will, more natural and more whole. So this sort of like really hits that um, criteria. And then the third is this idea that we can look at traditional foods in a new light and kind of mine traditional food wisdom for future food applications in a respectful and interesting way. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, this is like a really interesting one. And we, we kind of talked about this this earlier before we kicked the, the podcast off, but it's, I mean, I, I, I want to like, I want to talk to the better nature team because there's a lot of questions that I have around it where like, I don't know if I'm just so deep in this space that I'm like, I feel like I've seen this before. Right. So at the high level, like you talk, you basically said like tempeh, it's existed for a long, 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 long time. It's, it's soybeans and mycelium. That's the gist of it, but it's the, the, the mycelium keeps the soybeans together and it kind of looks like a block or a cake, as you said. And what my understanding of this is, is that it's basically saying it's the same thing just without the soybeans. So it's just the mycelium. And for me in this space, I would equate this to the other solid state fermentation companies doing solid state biomass fermentation. And all that that means in my mind is taking mycelium, taking mushroom roots, and in essence, you're growing it in, in a and it, not in a big tank that's in a liquid state, but in a, in a solid form. So you get a big block of mycelium. And there's not that many players that are doing solid state fermentation. There's more doing liquid state, like like the meaties of the world or corn. Everyone knows corn. Um, they're doing liquid state. So big bioreactors. And, and the handful that are doing solid state, it's, it's seen as just a way to create whole structured cuts, uh, less processing to create, to create the whole cut structure. And 
this is kind of what that looks like. But I would love a confirmation from the, the better nature team. If my understanding is, is right, um, if that's what they're doing. But the key thing that I, that I, I thought of is exactly what you said about this idea of taking things that have basically existed and maybe changing them slightly, but not a tremendous amount to create new offerings that are hitting on what consumers want. And in essence, if this is what I think it is, if it is just the mycelium that is used in traditional tempeh, it's been in our food system forever, and they're just growing it without the, the soybeans and it's not tempeh, then it kind of creates this idea or question of maybe why, why have the, some of the companies that have existed for the past five plus years, why are they taking such novel approaches, novel mycelium, novel microbes, different technologies that might be super complex when maybe we could actually just take something that's been around for a while, tweak it a little bit and give consumers what they want. Like, are we trying too hard to give consumers what they want and trying to create too much IP and all that? That's, it's just like a, a high level question that I think my gut is telling me, yeah, maybe we have tried a little bit too hard and this could be an example of that. Um, and the last, the last thing that I would say on this one is just that I, I think this does bring up a, a question of how do we market a product like this, right? Because it's not, if it's mycelium, it is not plant-based. Fungi is, 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 a, is a different kingdom than plants. And it does have that clean label that you talked about. And it does have that up, upstream or sidestream valorization, upcycling idea of, of wasted products. So it's, it's good for the body, high protein, high fiber, um, it's using waste side streams. It's not plants. It's not using extrusion and high processing, right? How do you market that? Because consumers have no idea what tempeh is. They have no idea what mycelium is. So I, I, I'm still grappling with how to how I think that's that's best marketed. But um, but I'll leave it at that. But super very, interesting. Very super interesting. True. Um, I like that. I like that that question that you're asking. So regarding the the way it's made, it would be good to clarify. I believe you're right. They are using solid state fermentation, um, but it would be good to get you know more details um, from the team. Um, I would say that on the marketing side, it's interesting. If you look at something like Meaty, they've chosen to kind of stay away for, in their consumer marketing from the term mycelium. And instead they've kind of trademarked this, this term mushroom root, which is essentially their definition their term for mycelium but as you as as we see here mycelium can also be not just from mushrooms right which is interesting well i think i i think i think mycelium is is like i think it is mushroom root right like it is it's the network of mushroom roots so I, my understanding is that this is just whatever whatever traditional fungi that you use for fermentation they're just using the same fungi but maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong but this but on media like how do you define mushrooms because not are are all mush not all not all fungi are mushrooms well i but think of mushrooms, mushrooms in the traditional sense as like the fruiting body right of, and mycelium is the substrate yeah yes uh, but, but mycelium, i mean i think of it as like the rooting structure yeah so i think yeah they yes sometimes defined as but like, either way Upstream. But in this case, you, you've got this like soybean, which is not a mushroom, mm -hmm. which is creating 
a different, there's a different layer to it. So it, 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 it does confuse things around the term mycelium. Definitely. And, and I think, I think to your point about bringing up meaty, like I can get meaty in the grocery stores by, by me. And I, I do quite often, but it, it, I know it's mycelium, right? I know it's, it's, it's a biomass fermentation product using liquid state fermentation because I'm obsessed with this space, right? I look at these companies, I invest in these types of companies and I'm looking out for it, but it is just in the frozen section of the grocery store right next to all of the plant-based stuff. And I would just be so, I wish I could get into the minds of consumers who know nothing about this, but are kind of looking at that space, just curious. Does it even occur to them that this is not a plant-based product, that biomass fermentation is different. It has different labels, less, less ingredients, different nutritional properties. It's, it's different. Um, and I don't think that comes through based on how it's currently being put out there. It just looks, it's just being thrown into the pile of plant-based products out there. Um, so I, I think it's a real, a real barrier that these biomass fermentation companies have to overcome because they have true value propositions that are not coming through. At least I don't think they are. Hmm. Interesting. I would have to say that, I mean, listen, most people say a tomato is a vegetable. Most people would say mushrooms are plants just off offhandedly without thinking about it. Do we need to be more granular? Like, do we need a separate yeah. section for like non-plant-based, non-cell-based alternatives that come from the ground? I don't know. I, I'm I, not saying either way that we do, but how much do we need to tell consumers and how much do we want to rely on just taste and branding and positioning rather than kind of deep education? No, it's a good, it's a good question. And actually like, it's kind of the perfect segue into the next story that I wanted to hit on, which, which is within the newsletter this week, there's a, there's a, a piece that you and your team did on zero acre farms, uh, fermentation based oil which can be used as an alternative to a lot of the vegetable oils that are used in foods, whether that's in CPG products or in, in food service. And, and the reason why I feel like that's, it's, it's perfectly tied to what you just said about how much do we tell consumers? The reason I wanted to bring up this story of zero acre is because this is a new oil. It, it is not something that has been around and used in the food system in, in the past. And, I found it so interesting that Zero Acre is being very quickly accepted by different chains, like one of them being Chipotle, which is all about good natural ingredients that are good for you. So not highly processed ingredients. And they're very quick to say, no, we really like this oil. It's much better from a health standpoint, which your, your, your piece calls out. It's also better for the environment. So we're all in on it. We really like it. Let's, let's put this in some of our locations to start and hopefully all of them. And, and to the consumer, I don't think they have any idea. I've been to Chipotle at various times since Zero Acre has been added. And I don't, I don't remember seeing it anywhere. It's just in the background, it's the oil that they're using. And, and consumers don't know. I don't, they probably care, but they care in a good way. They probably think, oh, this is better for me than, than other oils 
right? Or, or if it, uh, maybe it's questionable how bad oils are for you, the, the vegetable oils. So maybe I don't know it's better for me, but it's definitely better for the planet. That's a good thing. But it really, it calls out this idea of like, how much do consumers need to know? I don't know that they need to know a lot, but did you think of like, what did you think about the, the zero acre stuff? Anything different on that? Well, um, the zero acre story, I'm super glad that you picked it in your, in your picks because it's a story that is very personal to me. I, I basically had a bee in my bonnet about wanting to understand how zero acre compared with seed oils, which are an, a, a much maligned category of, of, of ingredients that are often used in plant-based meats and many, many other foods, and also just used in cooking in our homes. Um, in the US, especially, it's uh, it's gonna be canola. In Europe, especially, it's gonna be sunflower seed oil. Um, it's, it's just really, um, it, it's just really, it, it's a very contentious subject. Um, there's a lot of research that links seed oil consumption and, and just the amount of seed oils that are now present in our food um, and in our diets with things like obesity. And um, there's links to inflammation that causes a rise in diseases. But there are people who very much disagree with this. That being said, I started to see this trend of certain chains saying that they were gonna switch away from food oils, uh, seed oils. So for example, you know, the millennial favorite salad chain, Sweet Greens, was like, we're not doing seed oils anymore. All our grains and bowls and 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 vegetables are going to be cooked in olive oil, which is not a seed oil, right? It's a fruit oil. And um, then suddenly you had Chipotle that was testing a zero acre oil. Um, and uh, sorry, I mean Shake Shack. Apologies. Um, and so I was just wondering well, what is the profile of this zero acre oil? Because a lot of the coverage around companies' products like zero acre and, and even in our coverage in the past has been around their environmental footprint. So how they help with, you know, uh, land use issues, deforestation issues, biodiversity issues, uh, emissions issues. And so I literally wrote to the company and said, I want to know more about your, the nutrition profile of your, of your oil. And I, I mean, it's based on the results that they were, they shared with us. It's super encouraging. Their sugarcane based cultured oil is essentially very, very um, health positive. And it does not get absorbed by your body as a, as a seed oil would. So the, the there's like low levels of toxicity, um, they don't have the the certain ingredients that are linked to inflammation that seed oils have, and they don't cause your body to basically stack up um, omega-6 oils. Um, so it, I just found it really fascinating and I really wanted to dive in. So it's like a very personal story around health. I do think seed oils are going to be a big part of the conversation going forward. This comes back to one of our overarching themes around ultra processed foods um, and plant-based meats and how basically, um, you know, people are starting to wonder uh, around, you know, how processed are plant-based meats and how much, how healthy is that? And one of the issues 
that comes up in plant-based foods is, is the oil use. And you do see companies, for example, like Spanish company, Yura foods, they switch to olive oil, for example, like sweet greens, instead of using canola oil or sunflower seed oil, which is what a lot of um, the, the companies use. So yeah, so that's where that story came from. I had a bee in my bonnet and uh, I have to say, I, I was very impressed and amazed by Zero Acres, uh, extensive kind of information availability and, and, and how positively it seemed to, to compare to, you know, other oils. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think it was such a good piece and, and to your point, like it really hit on the health aspect, which I think like, again, like TBD on how bad oils are for you, but a lot think they're really bad. And, and if they are, then this one is seemingly much, much better. Um, and at least it's better for the environment. But I, I did also, um, just for the first time here, be in my bonnet. Did not know that saying. I love it. Um, really? So, I feel like I'm a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> but my wife would say I live, I, I live under a rock and I never know any of these things. So, oh, my vegan, so that's, my vegan posse would say you should not use expressions like that. So maybe I need to find something else in my bonnet. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um but but what about what 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 else in the in the newsletter caught caught your eye oh well this is going to be a quick a quick one but you know uh biden administration came out with a list of investments that it made in 185 ag projects to bolster the food supply chain in the u.s and lower costs um they gave up what the uh, the, a total sum of almost 200 million dollars and I went through the entire plan and list of all the projects it awarded money to. And there is almost no, there's almost no mention of climate change, even the word sustainability. There's nothing in alternative protein, nothing in in, in just plant-based kind of expansion or promotion or anything. So I just thought that was a little bit depressing. And we talk a lot about how certain countries in Europe and and even to some extent, Taiwan and 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 the UAE and in some extent have prioritized, you know, protein diversification and investing in plant-based proteins. And there was just like nothing around that. Um, and that, yeah, that was too bad. Yeah, that, that really is it is it is a bummer. And it's like on one hand, I understand it, right? Like like from a government standpoint, like they're more focused right now on making sure that the food system is feeding people right it's it's super efficient and it's all about efficiencies and and creating as much food as, as you possibly can but um like what i mentioned really earlier on in this in this episode is like i don't think we really have the time anymore to be just focused on that and kind of pushing sustainability to the side like we have to we have to do both so um in this case it's not the biggest investment package in the world for especially for a government it's like less than 200 million dollars like there's there's vc funds that are much bigger than that so this isn't like a crazy crazy amount that they're just pushing towards keeping the current the status quo um but but i mean we we just we have to see the we have to see more progress in what they're funding sure but i mean just two two things on that one they they have not been giving out huge amounts for food system uh like fixing and two it was just another kind of hit in the like in the gut that like oh protein diversification is just like not 
not on the menu. It's like not part of the plan. So, but yeah, hopefully. No, I agree. I, I agree. More money to come soon. Definitely. So what's the positive? And, and I mean, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So it's funny. It's funny because like the positive that I'm, I'm going to bring up, like I, I mentioned it to you before we started this and you're like, oh, that's a positive to you. I thought I didn't know <laughs> that was kind of negative. Right. So like, I guess that really calls into question, like, like if this is positive, like it raises the subjectivity aspect of all of this. But I thought that in the newsletter this week that um, the, the report from the FAO um, that was basically saying it is advising rich nations to cut their annual meat intake um, by upwards of 90 percent uh, for some for some uh, richer nations in order to meet the 1.5 degrees Celsius target. Um, I think that a report like that and an advice like that is a really good thing, especially ahead of, of COP coming up. And the reason why I, I get that it could be seen as bad is like holy, holy crap, we have to cut our cut our media intake from rich nations by almost by upwards of ninety percent. Like that seems almost impossible, right? So that that could be seen as a negative. But in my mind, it's it's kind of this idea of like calling people out, and in this case, calling nations out, and in, in reality, the vast majority of emissions coming from um, from meat consumption and animal product consumption is coming from richer nations. So we can't just tell the world, hey, we need to reduce our meat consumption because there's some nations that are not, that people are barely getting enough food to begin with, right? So it, it is calling out the, the, the actors that are really contributing the most to greenhouse gas emissions to unsustainability through meat consumption and i think until we call it call those nations out and until governments are feeling the pressure to maybe look at this a little more deeply instead of like biden administration putting 200 million towards traditional practices then nothing's going to change so i see this as a positive it's calling calling the 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 real bad actors out on what they need to change but you don't think so <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, look, as uh, given the amount of reporting we do on this issue, I mean, to me, it, it feels like old news, but it, it's big news. I think the message here that's key, I, I've been in some uh, food and climate discussion groups around COP, and it's interesting because uh, this, this FAO report was brought up. And at the same time, there are people in the groups I'm in that are calling for lower to middle income countries. So LMIC, I think is how they abbreviate it, um, that that they believe need more animal protein in their diets. Um, so there is this tension I can already see between the people advocating for you know more animal protein in certain parts of the world. Um, and then the people saying, yeah, but okay, what fine, but rich nations need to reduce. And so I think it's it's great that the FAO really called out that that kind of income disparity and, and, and country disparity um, that is not always reflected in media headlines around diet change. Um, now, again, this does not take into account things like ethics. Um, this is a more kind of overall pragmatic view that where the, where the dietary consumption change really needs to happen is in the wealthiest countries and you know, I I do think it's a positive that the FAO is is calling it out and just saying what needs to be said 
but um, at some point we need to stop saying what needs to be said and we need to just, we need to just- Just re do it. <laughs> reduce meat consumption. I mean, am I right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. I've joked about this to, to people, but like my my entire career right now is focused on investing in startups that, that help us reduce meat consumption or push us to sustainable food practices. I would love for my job to not have to exist. And it it, it would not have to exist very simply, if everyone just reduced animal product consumption across the board, then there wouldn't be a need to have a, a VC firm or many VC firms focused on the space. It's really simple. Eat more beans, eat more lentils. <laughs> like like that, that would be, that's the solution right there. But until then, we gotta, we gotta try to figure some other things out. Okay, so you know what I did today randomly? It was a leftovers dinner and in the fridge, we had some dal, which is, you know, an Indian lentil dish. We pretty much always have dal in my fridge because we give it to my son like at four times a week, like at least like for his lunchbox and for his dinner. I'm, I'm big on dal. I think all children should eat dal. It's basically like a lentil like soup, if you will, um, but with a little bit more kind of texture. And I had this leftover tomato sauce and I had leftover pasta. And I decided to, I was being greedy and I decided to mix them all together in a, in a, we don't have a microwave. So everything is done on the stove top. So I was heating it up in a stove top pan and I guess it was really hot. So everything got mixed up. And so I ended up having this like tomato pasta sauce that had dal in it. And it turned out to be incredibly delicious. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I completely fortified this pasta with this like lentil you know, with, with the lentils. So the, the pasta was suddenly like super high protein and it was so good. And I was thinking, have I just like, you know, just like come across a very, very cool kind of hack. <laughs> you you found the solution. You found the solution. <laughs> but and two, I know two quick things on that. Two, two quick things on that. One, one is I call that garbage dinner in my house where you <laughs> put all the leftovers together. And, and usually I do garbage dinner all the time. And, and then two is, how do you not have a microwave? I think that's, that's a whole podcast episode on its own. I can't survive without one. It's probably super American of me, but like, oh my God, come on. We will come back to that. <laughs> we will come back to it. We need to. It's an important okay. topic. <laughs> okay, well, okay. Dal pasta, garbage dinner. You heard it here first. All right. See you next week, everybody.